We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 352 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jay Hilton, and today with me, got a little bit of a break. Man, Barcelona weren't doing so well when you were gone, but it seems like they're back at it, and so I had to have him back on again. It's Domagoy Kostainchuk. How's it going, Domagoy? <laughs> Pretty good. Pleasure to be back, Dan. <laughs> so, Domagoy, yeah, you get a, an easy one compared to some of the recent weeks, of course. And what a dramatic finish it was for Barcelona to qualify for the Champions League. Jordi Alba with a, I'm going to call it a galazzo. I don't like to overuse the term, but Danny Alves finding Jordi Alba. Probably could have found Frankie Diango on Sufati as well with those runs to the back post, but Jordi Alba just completes it. And overall, a tremendous save from Jordi Alba. Of course, on this show, we are going to hit on Sufati for quite some time. I think there are other compliments to be given, like Ronald Araujo, Busquets, Frankie De Young, and even some on Real Betis. But we start with Jordi Alba because he winds up not only prior to that goal, but with the goal being the player of the game, in my opinion. And Jordi Alba was really important, really good. And I felt like before we started talking about him, looking just at his day, it was four or five on his duels, four key passes. And regardless of the other stats here, I definitely get caught in the trap of every time Alba plays well, we get in this whole referendum on his career, on his path forward, on his time at Barcelona, instead of looking at that match as an isolated, really, really good match for a player that will still be important at FC Barcelona next season. Whether or not he's a backup that challenges him, whether or not he only has a year left or two years left, or yeah, I mean, or the fact that he desperately needs someone to be challenging him and take minutes away from him, he's going to be the starter next season for FC Barcelona. But yeah, there I did it again, Don McGoy. <laughs> I can't just talk about this match where he was awesome, where he was the man, the man of the match, for uh, in a big moment and a veteran that qualified Barca for the Champions League. Yeah, I think you, you nailed it there. I mean, Jordi Alba is such a controversial figure and I feel like people always kind of default back to his defensive, well, the lack of his defensive contribution that people call. I mean, I feel like if one thing that Xavi has proven this season is that Jordi Alba can defend and he does defend well, the thing is, it's the defending is always going to be a, a collective issue for Barcelona or as long as Xavi doesn't really address that properly. And I feel like he hasn't really addressed it properly just yet. Barca are improving their pressing. They're improving their defensive structure and the compact defensive block, but we're not there yet. And then you have these individuals who, and Jordi Alba is often the one criticized. And sometimes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very good, criticism because he sometimes does make these blunders and sometimes it's just a mental thing and sometimes he just 
him rushing out of position and, and then exposing the back line because if the whole defensive block is not on the same page, did you just have one player rushing out to press when he's not supposed to press, then the whole structure kind of falls apart. And he's not the only person, only player in Barcelona that does this. I mean, Ricky Puig, for example, I always criticize him because he has the work rate. He has the, the mentality. He has the eagerness to press, but he has to have discipline as well. You have to know when to press and how to press. But just speaking of Alba and the positive impact that he's had, I feel like he's done so well, not just in this game, he's done well throughout the season. And he's been a key part of Barcelona, just going forward, going back as well. And somehow he is still underrated. And I feel like once he retires and once we actually bring someone in to replace him or just be his understudy, we will we will see how difficult it is for players to kind of ascend to that level and keep up with Alba's numbers. Because Alba's numbers, when you compare them to the, the rest of Europe, even to the, some, some of the very best left backs in the world who people would die to have at Barcelona, he's now lagging. Oh, he is lagging behind, but only slightly. And that's also in a Barca team that's been kind of trying to find their groove. We're not there yet. We're still kind of work in progress. And to be that efficient and that good in a, in a well, just let's just face it, a struggling team is still is, is pretty impressive to me. And props to Xavi as well, because he has somehow reinvented Alba, even though he's over 30, he's been he's been able to to uh, adapt to this new system, playing more of a inverted role, deeper role, being the delivery expert as opposed to just being the, the guy who overlaps and runs into space and, and, and then kind of does these cutbacks back to the likes of Messi or whoever it is in the box. Now he's actually an important part of the build-up structure in the first phase of build-up. And this is where I feel like many of the fullbacks that we may chase may falter because not everyone is comfortable and technical enough and good enough on the ball and, and, and you know, comfortable being in a constant constant contact with the ball and affecting the buildup in, in such a large scale as Jordi Alba. So I feel like replacing him is a much tougher task than people may think. Well, it's interesting because tomorrow against Celta de Vigo, we're likely going to get a hard mm-hmm. look at Javi Gailan, right? One of yep. those players who is being tipped as maybe probably optimistically one of the cheapest options you can bring yep. in to be the backup for Alba. And people are going to get a good look at the fact that defensively, he's very, very solid. But mm-hmm. offensively in buildup, and just an understanding of Barca's system, especially for those yeah. fullbacks, is going to take time. It's again one of the very one of the reasons why we very very often keep repeating that Danny Alba's at thirty nine, especially yesterday with the ball. He didn't look thirty nine; he looked like Danny Alves, mm-hmm. and without the ball, he looked like a thirty nine year old Danny Alves. Like happy birthday <laughs> him on Friday, but he looked thirty nine every time Barca put down the ball. Obviously, Real Betis were like, "There, there, we need to send it directly in that direction <laughs> and attack Danny Alves as best we can." Fortunately for Alves. Ronald stood strong yesterday, but, but, you know, back to the, the point on Alba that, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see Guyland tomorrow because I think it's going to be, it's going to feel very much like a like for like comparison between the two and, and what he can provide. And I also think that in front of Alba, and you mentioned with the buildup, losing Messi in buildup, losing the two to three passes where whether it was Alba trying to invert a little bit, I mean, even under Valverde, he would do this where he would invert just a bit. No, I'm, I'm, you know, yes, obviously he's going to want to overlap on the wing a little bit more and cross in in that final third. But when he does invert, there was still that pass up through the middle to Messi that was the expected ball. And, and we've seen, I think, looking at it earlier in the year when we were really being harsh on Frankie de Young and the times when we decided to turn on Frankie de Young, that pass from Alba to de Young is one that doesn't necessarily happen too often. 
because if Alba's going to cross it, it's going to be all the way across the field. So it's going to be to Dembele or even looking for Alves, who's inverted in the middle, or it'll be uh, bypassing the other center back and you get it to Araujo or to Pique or whoever it is, or he's going to just reset with the 15 yard pass with diagonal ball to Busquets. And that's going to be what he's going to do. And then we saw in the last 10 minutes or so of that game, when Ansu Fati came in and was doing his thing, that Jordi Alba just looks so much more dynamic because the minute a player comes on the field as a, the left wing, that the left, as a left winger and attracts more attention, then there's so much more that Alba can do with, with that possibility. And it's even an argument, Luis Suarez is in the news. I didn't talk about it on the other show, so we can maybe do it real quick here that, uh, you know, Luis Suarez, for all you can say about him, he attracts one plus in a way that Aubameyang even doesn't do, that Ferran Torres certainly doesn't do. Ferran Torres is just. 1v1, that's what he's going to have to do. And they know he's not going to try to go around him. So players are ready to bring that center back over. Or if they're playing a double pivot, you drop the other pivot. And then Ferran Torres really has nowhere to go, right? And he has to pass it off. And then unless it's Alba overlapping, but now you have 1v1 in that situation and Alba isn't ever going to be fully clear. But the minute Ansu came on to that left wing, you saw the whole point of it. That the second Ansu starts to break in inward, then you have a pivot and you have a right winger I mean, a right back and you even have the right winger and you have all center back looking directly at one guy. And then I was like, oh, look at all the space. This is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this and, and to the point, too, about Gabi playing as that left interior that we keep seeing over and over again. Gabi, because he's refining his game, he's refining where he needs to be, like his positioning is right. His decision making is right. Obviously, well beyond his, his years. But as Gabi does continue to evolve and while we know that he is very successful as an interior, we've seen him be very hot and cold on the left wing when he was tasked with that job. And then when he drops in and Alba gets forward and he's supposed to be that left back, he's not necessarily totally comfortable with breaking the game open in a secondary position, covering for somebody else. So mm-hmm. as Gabi continues to evolve in that way, and if he is a long-term answer as that left interior, and it's not Pedri, because that becomes, you know, that's the argument we had before too, right? Is it Pedri who should be as a left high interior or should it should it be Gabi? Because they both seem to be more comfortable as that high left interior. So yeah, that'll have to be, be answered. But as I said, for Alba, as his teammates around him kind of take more of the ire of the opposition, you're going to see even more, I think, next season. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's better next year, that being Alba, number-wise even, mm-hmm. than he was this year. And even defensively, as Gabi and Pedri get more comfortable, and I'm sorry, Pedri, but as Gabi gets more comfortable covering for him, and I'm also interested to see what happens at the Busquets position, but you and I, Domagoy, that's on my list. <laughs> Domagoy and Dan, do not do the Busquets thing again. Just send people to our podcast. <laughs> Type in the podcast, Busquets. You'll find it. We are hour-long manifesto. But yeah, would you like to move on to, I think Ansu, I mean, that, that is our main course of this show. Would mm. you like to move on to Ansu? Because I, I did give you a little bit of a teaser for that. Yeah, we could, you could just move on to Ansu. Do you have anything specific in mind? Just well, he's just, very good. <laughs> oh, he's got. Oh, yeah. I think we can all agree on that. I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's set the stage that way. I mean, there are there are Sam Martin has some notes that I want to get over, but with mm-hmm. Ansu, it, it's it's impossible to understand. He's not a perfect player. He's still mm-hmm. young, but I, I'm really excited. And I think the feeling you get yesterday when he scores the goal, especially again, it's a scuff shot. Mm-hmm. I was corrected; it was not deflected. I thought it was deflected, but it was just a scuff shot. Finds yeah. it back to the net. And Xavi came out with, in his press conference today and said that that it was a spot where he took that shot from was a spot mm-hmm. that Xavi and Ansu together had discussed as a weakness or a, a hole that that Real Betis defense mm-hmm. was going to have. So the minute he went on the field with the instruction of exactly where to receive the ball, Ansu did it and Ansu converted one of his two chances yesterday. Mm-hmm. And again, while he's not a perfect player, if he stays on the field 
he just, the team is better when he is on the field. He attracts attention. He's clinical. And it's this thing where every time he comes back from these long-term injuries, things happen, whether he mm-hmm. comes back after a month, whether it was three months, whether it was four months, whatever it was, he's a difference maker. And mm-hmm. just like Messi, I'm enjoying the fact that at Pedri to a point when he really had that good stretch for two months, I'm enjoying the fact that I don't have words. I don't have vocabulary. I don't have the hyperbole because especially at 19, we're going to run out of it because Ansu, mm-hmm. if he's able to play, he's going to do this over and over and over and over again. He just understands space. He understands where to be. He's dangerous starting on the left wing because he attracts attention that way and opens up space for others. And then the minute he gets in the box, they also have to have two or three guys on him and they have to be physical with him. But he mm-hmm. also is going to draw fouls. He's the most fouled per minute player. Well, he's a blah per minute player in the Liga and quite a, mm-hmm. quite a lot of categories, obviously, because of just the impact he's had in the limited amount of time he's on the field. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content... Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, 
grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. That, that's, that about sums it up, I think. Uh, Ansu is just, he has this gravity that you talked about. Not many players have the gravity. I mean, some do, like, moderately you know usually players will attract one defender as you said but there are some special players like Messi would always attract two three four players and that you know not only does that you know put that player under a spotlight but it also opens up space on the other side of the pitch that's that's the main thing that's how Messi does his thing because he attracts so many players on one side and then pockets open up and you have to be a special player to be able to escape that pressure first and then deploy the passes and I feel like I'm so yeah, yeah. Not, Messi, I want to add the caveat that it took a little bit of time. So some of Messi's greatest highlights, I mean, look at when he destroyed Hadafe, right? And he has a long mm. hair and he's a young Messi. Yeah, yeah. That was a time period where Messi was still only drawing one and a half players, where everyone was still more worried about the legend that was Terry Henry at Arsenal mm. and Ronaldinho mm. and Samuel Eto. And they were more concerned about those players and not so concerned about this little Argentinian kid. So he drew one. And then all of a sudden, I mean, that's why so many of those highlights exist from that yeah. era, because he was... They, they thought they could do 1v1 against this kid. And then all mm. of a sudden, it, it, was, it was no longer the case. 2007 hit, 2008 hit, and, and they were starting to learn their lesson. And even with Ansu, he's now already been around mm. for three years, and teams are going to have to relearn that lesson that you cannot put mm. just one on him. Yeah, yeah. The thing is with Ansu, he doesn't have that leisure. I mean, he, the pe- people already know that this is Ansu yeah. Fati. We need to mark him. We need to mark him hard. And I feel like that makes all of this that much more impressive because he knows that he has a target on his back and still he creates separation just like that. Like, like a, an elite striker, he creates separation. He can exploit the blind spots. He can run into space. He can receive ball under pressure. He has all the traits to be like a, a lethal finisher. And just to do all of that, yeah, coming from injuries and always having instant impact, that just, that's unheard of. I mean, it, it, he's, he's not supposed to be that good at that age. And with those injury woes as well, that's, that's just not supposed to happen. Same with Pedri. Those, Two players, they have no right to be as good as they are at the age they are at, and and you know the stage of their development as well. And just the thing that Fatih can even he can improve, he will improve, he must improve. I, I I'm I'm really excited to think just think about it how how good he can get, and we'll see if Xavi is really serious about deploying him as a number nine because he talked about that, and then he said that Ansu feels more comfortable on the left side, which I get because you're coming back from an injury, you don't really want to experiment too much with a Unknown, well, it's not really an unknown position, but it's still at a much higher level. He played as a striker in, in the academy, right? So he he knows how to do it, and he's not totally unfamiliar with it. But still, to be playing a, in that new role, it's called a new role at this level, coming back from injury, it, it cannot really be comfortable for him. So I, I get why Xavi put him back on the left. And there is also there's also more things that he does on the left side. He's comfortable with it and he gets more space. He's not as heavily marked. He he has that leisure of a, of a winger uh, as opposed to being a striker, which comes with different challenges, different constraints. And you have, you're always more tightly marked. You, you're not operating in as much space as a left winger might operate. Uh, and it's a t- totally different world. But Ansu has all the traits of a lethal forward, like a center forward, a striker. And I've talked about that. I've written about that a lot because I was looking at the some of the elite responsibilities or traits that a striker must have to excel in that position. And Ansu ticks almost all the boxes, even down to the physicality part. He's not 
big, big, but he can still hold his own. He can still out-muscle defenders. He can still hold his ground when he's being heavily marked, which is very important. And his back-to-goal play is also decent, which is it's something that he needs to work on, but it's still decent. Uh, and I feel like he has the tools. If Xavi wants him to transition to a striker role, he could do it just because his repertoire is, is, is as wide and as, as versatile as it is. And I'm really looking forward to that and seeing how, how he develops. Well, it's a must, must, must that he finishes the season healthy and has mm-hmm. a full preseason with Xavi. That is, I, I think, as far as the things that I want for the offseason, you know, obviously we've talked about our, you know, our wish list. And sometimes I, I wake up and go, you know, dreaming of too many. And then I wake up and reality hits and I understand the, the, uh, the, the nature of, of that the, there is no one coming. But in, on the case of Ansu's position, it is interesting to me because you're right, like future and we, whether it's a year or two or even in the fall, Xavi, his comments today are really, really telling because it sounds very collaborative that they want to keep Ansu healthy. They wanted him to feel comfortable in the 15 minutes or 10 minutes he was on the field. And so Xavi said, and this is the quote, he told me best to play him wide. I told him he could switch with, with uh, Abu or uh, Aubameyang, but he wanted to be on the left. He's always a danger coming inside. He gets two chances, scores one, the other is dangerous. He's comfortable around the box. It's a gift. And so it sounds like Xavi already knows where he wants Ansu to be. And Xavi's right about that. I mean, where do you put your most clinical finisher, where do you put the guy that attracts the most attention? You put him as close to goal as humanly possible. Exactly. So that means everybody else is wide open around the penalty box and everybody else has more space to operate in. So you put the guy that has the greatest gravity in the most dangerous spot on the field. That makes a lot of sense. You know, Xavi's pragmatic in that way. But the fact that he worked with Ansu and Ansu was comfortable coming on the left and still Barcelona get a result because Ansu comes on the field. And yeah, Mark Bartra had the equalizer, of course. Like, yeah, Ansu's mm-hmm. goal probably could have been the winner if Barca knew how to defend set pieces. But yeah. instead, instead, they have to get the, the winner. But either way, that game was 0-0. It could have ended 0-0. And it's interesting because it was a well-played 0-0 game. Mm-hmm. And Ansu making his debut all those years ago against Real Betis, there's something to Real Betis, as well as, you know, the, characterizing them as one of Barca's friends, not foes. You know, even though... Yeah. You know, the, the, the tackles from Guardado, uh, Guardado over the years, and, you know, this is me just <laughs> was pointing out the, the Mexican player with the, the, the hard tackles, of course, as, as, as a U.S. men's national team man will do. Uh, but then well, William Cavarro, I mean, he deserved like nine yellows in that game. Never a red, but nine different soft yellows, right? <laughs> it is not, yeah. Once he came off the bench. But there's something, uh, uh, there's an unseriousness to the Real Betis match where mm-hmm. Real Betis, just, it just doesn't seem as as there's as much vitriol it doesn't seem there's as much frustration i feel like they also leave because they want to attack and they want to play a very similar mm-hmm. style to barca that mm-hmm. even though barca had 58 of the possession the times when the Alpetis were dangerous they were dangerous with the ball they were dangerous in possession the same way the barca can be dangerous and i yeah. feel like barcelona are always comfortable against Alpetis. there's never a moment when it's over unlike with cadiz and raya when you're like we're never gonna get through it's never gonna yeah. happen you're just never gonna break that down Alpetis always gonna give you opportunities at least barca to break them down in that way. Now, the stats I want to give you for, for Ansu, this is, again, directly from our friend from San Propatitivo, Sam Marsden. Despite having three different injuries this season, Ansu has still managed six goals in five appearances, five of them being starts. That's a goal every 81 minutes. He's played 486 minutes this season across those three different times when he wasn't injured, and he's averaged 1.1 goals per 90 minutes, scoring six goals, with a season expected goals of 2.02 per match and just nine shots on target in total. Again, nine shots on target in total, six goals. 
And so that is the definition of clinical to, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's nobody with those numbers and he hasn't played, a, there's not a large enough sample size to yes. go crazy about this, right? Like that's why you'll see whether it's gold.com or there was another list that a uh, Spanish journalist came out with today, you know, those, all the teenager ones, all the 2003, 04, 05 birthdays, right? The really young ones, yeah. 17, 18, 19. And a lot of their per minute stuff is off the charts, right? Cause they only played... Mm-hmm you know, they'll get six minutes here and they'll score a goal exactly. That's why they're, you know, a high prospect. But, you know, his numbers are scary because obviously they're going to go down once he plays more minutes. Like once he plays, hopefully 35 to 45, even 50 games next season, you know, that's, they will go down. But mm-hmm. just that little small sample size tells you how terrifying even him at 70% was. And I keep saying, right, the whole thing about Ansu is can he stay healthy? And mm-hmm. even Ansu working his way back, even Ansu not at 100%. And even if, even if this 70% of what Ansu could have been is his 100%, even yeah. at this level, my goodness, like that's what I have. Like, I, I mean, I will worry about breaking him apart and breaking him down and saying what he doesn't do well in the way that we've done to Gabi this year, in the way that we have to do Pedri at times, the way yeah. that we've definitely done to Nico, certainly. Like these young players, we're waiting for them to play long enough to criticize them, but Ansu mm-hmm. hasn't even done that this year because yeah. the minute I go to criticize him, he's scoring a goal and then he's injured again <laughs> and that just it's been the, the cycle over and over and over again this season yeah it is it is kind of cruel i mean injuries are terrible for any player but someone of ansu's talent it's just it feels like we're getting robbed of something you know something great of greatness because he could go on and be such a magical player he already is a magical player and that's that's in itself is already such an achievement because he's 19 years old and and we we keep we have to keep that in mind and also as you said people need to know that this is not really a sustainable rate of scoring goals. It will, it will definitely go down. And the thing is it will go down, but I'm not expecting it to go down significantly. Of course it will, it will, uh, it won't really be this, this crazy rate of scoring, but it will be high because Ansu, what he has is it's not luck. It's, it's, it's just this innate, it's just smell eye for goal. You know, he, he smells danger. He knows how to move. He moves well. And then he has, great ball striking technique he he's lethal and i feel feel like with those combination of traits he is guaranteed to score goals now how many goals he can score we'll see on a larger sample because we we don't know at this point we don't know how what his ceiling is we don't even know what his floor is i mean this this what we're seeing it's not 100 you've seen when he the first game he came back you you saw him that he was strolling across the pitch he wasn't really going you know 100 and that's good that's commendable because He's, he's also aware that he needs to take it slow. And Xavi is aware of that. And that's crucial because if we just throw him into the fire, who knows what might happen? He might get injured again and then what happens? And then for a young player to get constantly injured, it's, it's a physical toll, but it's also a mental toll because we're not sure how, how well he can take those injuries, uh, not just his body, but his mind. But as long as he still stays healthy, he is guaranteed to score goals. I, I, I think that we can all agree on that. I mean, it's, it's a bit crazy to say that about a 19-year-old that he's guaranteed to score goals, but he really is because the, the things that he has in his arsenal and his toolkit, those things are just, they're special. And they're, they're just, they're things that, that they don't go away. You can be in bad form. You can be, you can be injured. You can be, I don't know, having a bad game, but you always have that. It's like with Luis Suarez, for example. He would have a stinker of a game, 90 minutes, or Cristiano Ronaldo, same thing. Stinker of a game, 90 minutes does, not, does nothing. And then when he gets that one chance, that one opportunity in front of goal, he will put it away like 10 out of 10 times, despite the form, despite the age, despite the whatever is happening around him. Uh, and I feel like Ansu has that, that innate, has that in him. 
to be able to make a difference for Barcelona. I, I talked about that as well. It's like having Ansu Fati, even at 70%, as you said, or 50%, makes such a difference to Barcelona's season that next season we, we can be so much more competitive just because of one player. And that's him. That's Ansu Fadi. And then we we add more depth, and we add more more players that you know patch up the squad a bit. And I feel like Barca, well, we're not going to be competitive in Europe. That's not what I'm saying. But domestically, we can and we should be competitive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's part of the goal of next season. But as I said on the show earlier, where if you're competitive for the Liga trophy, I mean, there's so it's so random in the Champions League. And again, know, that was yeah. the argument that I'm going to reiterate again that. I think Ansu has that extra little bit. Like in the Champions League, you need difference makers. And Ansu Mm -hmm. has clearly shown with the advanced metrics I just told you. Like if he's Mm -hmm. even, again, 80%, if he he keeps his goals per 90 or expected goals per 90 at like 1.80 or something. I mean, expected goals kind of, you know, credit to to, to Vic from the Houston Kool-Aid is kind of calling me out on don't put too much in expected goals. But I mean, if he does score, you know, he's at 1.11 per 90 right now, even if he stays at, at 0.96 or something like that goals per 90 like i mean barcelona clearly has a chance in the champions league right because that tells you that that over the course of of two matches over the course of a tie he's going to get at least one you know guaranteed and it's likely that he'll get two in the course of a tie and can barcelona defend for their lives and you know to finish up the onto point here uh, then we'll we'll move on to the rest of the players that i think again there's negative talk about with we have but i want to say positive here but i was for onto I have been really having a hard time racking my brain as to try to create some kind of comparison because the numbers already and the potential already, like based on potential, you're, you're talking about the best strikers ever in the game. Like that's what his potential is pre-injury. And that's what even returning, that's a thing. Again, even though we know that he's, how long is he going to sustain this? Can he be on the field? But when he's on the field, who does he compare to? And you hear Brazilian Ronaldo, of course, because of, uh, but, but Brazilian Ronaldo just, it was, he was a little more downhill he was a little more like straight at the attack or Terry Henry, just the way that the, the clinical nature of Terry Henry, right when he made the move to Arsenal, he was a little bit older at the time too, but uh, Henry was a bit more lengthy, a little more legs, right? It was a little more relying on speed a bit, right. especially a younger version of him. So like all these different ones, even Romario, like Romario was a bit more with his back to goal at times uh, of what, I mean, again, of what I've been able to see of him, the hours and hours I've been able to see of him. So there's nobody that truly compares, like even like then going back in, in generations, the old Benfica from the seventies, Eusebio is actually one where I feel like just watching Eusebio where he seems like he did. Uh, I mean, again, the limited of what I've seen, you see two, three matches, right. That he was a player who just looks so comfortable on the wing uh, dropping as a, as a 10, being the number nine in the box, being dangerous, being clinical. He had really good technical skill. It just, that's what Ansu is. Ansu is so well-rounded. He does everything really well where like so many other players, especially Pedri, where what can guys do that are elite? If you have one elite skill, like Ronald Araujo, which is my transition to <laughs> for Araujo here, Araujo's elite skill is, is defending. I mean, just being a, being a strong defender just just locking one especially one individual player down but you see he's getting better again especially against Real Betis you saw that he's getting better at reading the counterattack. any idea mm-hmm. that Real Betis had about a counterattack was shut down by Ronda Araujo over and over again even though Barca they knew that Alba was going to get attacked and Araujo mm-hmm. didn't seem to care he just timed everything perfect was so tight with everything he did and, and so but Ansu doesn't really have that one elite skill he's just really good at so many things he's not the fastest he's 
I mean, he's going to be good at putting the ball in the back of the net. Like that's, that's all we need. But uh, now mm-hmm. for Ronda Rajo yesterday was really, really impressive to me or Saturday rather was really, really impressive to me. I thought it was, he was one of his better matches. Like it, it, it was so much trust in that second half in particular where Eric Garcia made that really long run with his progressive dribbling. We know his progressive dribbling is good. His progressive cra- passing is good. When Barca has the ball like that and Eric Garcia got so far upfield, I mean, obviously you knew that that was going to break down at some point. And yeah. he did. And then it was just Alves and Araujo because Alba had also pushed forward on an island in a, in a three-on-two. And Araujo just cleaned it up. And he did it over and over again. And it wasn't just in spite of Eric Garcia, but Alves and Eric Garcia were able to get forward. Alba was able to get forward. And you just there was this trust in Araujo yesterday. He just was on his game with timing, offside traps, whatever. I mean, even he hits the woodwork. It was, just, it was his day uh, mm-hmm. and a really good day from him. Yeah, it was. I mean, he just keeps getting better. That's that's a very good sign, especially since he's signed a new contract now. Everyone was expecting Canada to, for his performance to drop after signing the contract, but uh, last, it's it's getting it's getting better. That's that's good. I feel like with Araujo, it's 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 exactly that he's getting better, and he he knows what his weaknesses are. There's not many weaknesses that he has in his kit, but he's working on them, and that's that's crucial. He's still young; he can improve. He will improve, and. He knows what he has to improve on. That's for now. That's like that's a huge thing. And just to be to be able to to work on and and just be willing to work on is is huge as well. And he's also a threat in attack, which we shouldn't forget. I mean, he almost scored that goal. That was that was a brilliant header. And I feel like every time we have a quarter now or just a set piece, we have a genuine chance of maybe scoring because we have Araujo there. And I feel like that's the and having him in the back is a set stopping counterattacks. That's kind of the you know that with Eric Garcia, you have this race, he will, he will go forward, he will expose the back line. But if you have Araujo behind him, that's some sort of a shield and some sort of a, a you know plan B, not plan B, but you know, some sort of a something that protects you from, from those risks. And Barca under Xavi have been very high risk, high reward type of team. We have we are very vertical, we are very fast to try and progress and sometimes that hurts us because we're not really we, we don't need to be that, that that vertical that quickly we can we have to be more patient chai was was saying comma comma and I, I feel like that kind of sums up the whole season under xavi because barca have been so eager to pull the trigger for every vertical pass for a progressive pass mm-hmm. especially with eric garcia he will storm forward he will run forward and he will tr- he will make that pass and it will look good it will be exciting and we will be like oh wow that was a good pass but if the player cannot really receive cleanly or if that uh, higher position is not really advantageous in any way or cannot really advance play in any way after that initial touch then why do it just be patient pin the opposition back into a low block and then we speed up the attack and then we try and break them down then we try to kind of you know dissect their their block and try and break through it because if you if you're so vertical so quickly and the opposition is not in a in a low block and they're in a, in a higher or a mid block they will have more players higher up the pitch which means the counterattack can become so much easier for them that's why we suffer from counterattacks because we we allow players other players opposition players to be higher up the pitch and have closer distance to our goal to cover when they recover the ball. And that's a big problem. That's why I feel like having Araujo in the back is crucial because we are high risk, high reward. And when that fails, when you lose possession, it's all, it always looks dangerous. And having someone like Araujo is key in those situations. I would prefer us to be more patient and slower in pitting the opposition back into a, in the, in the low block or a mid block and then speed up the game, then try and, and, and go through the block. But having an hope means that we can we can sometimes allow ourselves to be more 
you know more, more risk more risk uh, risking our approach. But as I said, it's something that Xavi has identified as a weakness. That's why he keeps shouting karma, karma, because we, we tend to go into this open war with teams. We tend to play open games, uh, just end-to-end games. And sometimes when you have these players who are 30-something years old and who cannot really track back, who cannot really, who look 30-something in, in, in transitions, it's difficult to keep up with the teams that, that have these pacey wingers and young players surging forward. So I feel like there has to be some sort of middle ground because Araujo, as good as he is, he won't always be there to save us. And, and he's just one player at the end of the day. And I, I really like how he's identifying uh, when to when to help out Alves or whoever it is in the back line. He can do that. He There was this one instance when he just ran right past Alves to intercept the ball. That was just brilliant. Yeah, but, but just, uh, just relying on one man won't really get us far. And it's the same thing with... with we're looking for more defensive fullbacks as well. A fullback who will tackle the ball better than Jordi Alba, it's not the difference between, you know, Barca being the shaky defensive team and Barca being competitive in Europe. It's not going to make us that much more complete or better defensively. We need to be better defensively as a unit, as in a, in, a, in a block, in a structure. So I feel like people really kind of overestimated what... Uh, what a defensive fullback means. I mean, we, yes, of course, he can be better defensively than Jordi Alba, but that won't really make that much of a difference as people think it might make if the rest of the team is not on point, if the rest of the team is not structurally, you know, disciplined and, and, and our defensive block is not sound. And I think I was really impressed with Araujo. It is funny you say the fullback thing because that is a big picture idea that, uh, yeah, uh, really astute. I have no response. I have nothing to add. So when it comes to Araujo, his passing metrics yesterday were very similar to the rest of the back four, right? So it's not like Alves and Eric Garcia were even taking so much more of the heavy lifting. Now, Alva had his own numbers there, as I already spoke about. And when you were talking about the six more tackles a game, well, that's a lot, but two more tackles a game or three more tackles a game by the full, by the left back or the right back isn't going to be the difference between Barca winning the Champions League and struggling in 10th place under Kuman, right? Like that's not the difference just with that metric, but the passing for Araujo is really telling to me because it's a reminder, just like I said with Alba and how Gabi would improve and having Ansu healthy on the field to attract space and gravity, that as Barcelona, the entire unit, as the depth of the team improves, as the, the, the floor of the team improves, like how bad can this team be on their worst day? And that helps, that's what helps you challenge for the Liga when you win or you get results even when you're poor. And it was telling to me that with Araujo's passing metrics, it was something that usually I look for, it, obviously. Like, is Araujo breaking down the opposition with his passing? Or is the opponent keying in on his lack of progressive passing? And they're, in, in effect, giving him the space to try to beat them. And can he do that where he hasn't so far many times before? Like, people after yesterday, I mean, after Real Betis, were generally not too praising of Sergio Busquets. But, you know, and I, I think those who kind of, you know, disagreed with me in the, in the five headlines about how good Busquets was, I thought it was vintage Busquets against Raul Betis. I thought it was a, a, just a showcase performance and really telling to me as to why Araujo looked so comfortable with or without the ball. It didn't really matter if Araujo had the ball because all he had to do was shuttle it to Busquets and Busquets was just superb. And then De Young, it was not a complete showing from him but certainly a bounce back performance. If you want to call it that De Young was good while Busquets was great in that game. 
And Busquets was everywhere he needed to be six tackles, three interceptions. Sure. But, you know, just finding the players he needed to find in the timing and the space and dictating the tempo of that game. As much as the Fakir is a danger and Fakir was a danger man the entire time, as much as Canales, we know how dangerous he can be. Barca's midfield was better against Real Betis, two teams that want to have their midfield control that game. And because Barca's controlled the tempo and the pressure of the game rose as well, Frank de Young ran his lungs out, but it wasn't just running for running sake. He defended well. He was also connecting with Busquets after about the first 15 minutes. It was kind of rough to start. And then they started to find each other. Their spacing was really good. And whenever their spacing is right, it seems like Busquets is endowed with controlling a match. And he's with Araujo playing the way he was on the counterattack and De Young there supporting him as well. Busquets was never dribbled past yesterday. So as much as, you know, I, I again, got a counter argument that, oh, Busquets has lost it. He's too slow. He's cut out on the counterattack or whatever. But he wasn't though yesterday. Like that's like, you can say that as like a big picture idea about Busquets because you and I have, again, you and I have talked about that before. <laughs> Busquets yeah, in yeah. transition. But yesterday in transition, whatever they did, and I think, again, the opponent and the personnel that the opponent threw out there and their game plan was helpful. Like Busquets always plays well against against teams that, like Real Betis, who want to play with the ball just like Barca, who want to, you know, pseudo press in a mid block just like Barca. Like those mm-hmm. are the teams that Busquets really thrives against. Basically, when he's looking in a mirror <laughs> and, he, <laughs> and, he, and he comes and he gets up to the challenge. So it's going to be really interesting tomorrow against Celta because, I mean, with the performance that Ricky Poos put in, which is not a compliment to Ricky Poos. Like it's, you ha- really have to be a Ricky Poos stand to have defended him yesterday mm. after that one. I'm interested to see the path forward because with Nico injured and Pedri injured, and basically it's, we know it's going to be Gabi and De Young. And yeah. then that third man, I mean, could it be Poos? I'm not sure, right? And then <sighs> the other option is because Busquets is suspended, the beatkeepers yeah. in Avaro Sanz, who is a player that is fine. Like he was fine. And even when he was featuring earlier in the season in, in other competitions, they were playing him as, as an interior as well. As it's like, yeah. hey, be a young player, chicken with your head cut off, run around, defend like crazy, high up the field and press and be young. But yeah. they pivot. I mean, is he? Right? Is he a pivot? I mean, I don't know how high of a level it is. And then under Oriana, who has been one for debate, you want to talk about injuries, not staying healthy. He unfortunately yeah. at Barca B and his time at Barcelona is probably over this summer. So for Oriana to also get the call up, you know, it tells you that Xavi, I think is going to try to look for a pivot but I, I don't know, like, do you trust who's in that instance or are you going with Sanz or you're going with Oriana or is Xavi just going to throw this one completely, com- completely on his head? Like if PK is able to come back and be healthy, do you go Eric Garcia, PK, Araujo as the, as the right back? And then you put Alves in the middle of the field, right? Like, is that, is that the depth chart? Like, I'm not sure. Like yesterday, I mean, tomorrow is going to be really interesting as to how Xavi sets up his team, but also like the minute it happens, I'm going to go, oh, of course they did that. Right, like yeah. of course, the answer is going to be what the plan is. Uh, I feel like the the, the the easiest thing would be to put De Jong on the pivot and then just Gavi and Ricky Push uh, as the interiors. I feel like that's what he will essentially go for. Uh, would I go for it? I don't know. It's a good it's a good chance for De Jong, but I feel like I don't know. We've been down this road so many times. I'm not not even sure that Xavi. Well, apparently he still sees De Jong as Busquets' successor. I mean, if if the media are to be believed, but I don't know. We'll see. Uh, when it comes to Sanz and Oriana, I don't see Sanz as the one taking over, especially not just just now. But Oriana, we're definitely... not talking about long term though. We're talking about tomorrow, literally tomorrow, yeah, but right? Tomorrow. That's what I mean. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, even uh, if Oriana has moved on over the summer, is he good enough for just tomorrow? <laughs> 
I would say so because he's been playing really well. I mean, and we know that how how good he is, and he is made for that role. If there's a player within the academy who kind of mirrors what Busquets can do, obviously not at that level, it's Orellana. I feel like it has to be him. And the thing is, he this is his first senior call up, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. yep, he's so, hurt every other time. He was hurt every other time he could have had ex- yep. exactly. So. To be just thrown into the fire like that is a bit much, but does he have the quality to do it? I I want to say yes, because I'm a big fan. I'm a bit biased, but at the same time, we don't really have that many choices. If he, if he doesn't want to play the young there, which would be, I feel, I feel like that's what he might default to. It's not really the the most fortunate of, of solutions, but I feel like that's what he will default to essentially. But if he doesn't, I would love to see Oriana do that because he can do it. And I feel like he won't mind the, the jump in levels because he just ha- he has that. He has that skill set. He has that. Whatever Busquets does, Oriana kind of does the same thing, only not as good just yet, obviously. So if 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 I had to pick someone to to do it, I would pick Oriana. I wouldn't pick Sans. Sans is a good player. And he, he we've seen him with the first team already. He has he's a utility player. Uh, in my eyes, he he will run. He will he will do the hard work. He will do the dirty work as well. But between him and Oriana, I I know who I'm backing. <laughs> well, Sans, I put him in that category that we put like a Carlos Perez from a few seasons ago, where yeah, he's just gonna be he's gonna be a good professional. I mean, he stayed at Barcelona. I say he stayed at Barcelona a little bit too long. I think he just turned 21. But for Sans, yeah, he's just doing his thing. He yep. works hard, as you said, defends well, understands the game well. His ceiling is just not. Barcelona caliber. And that's totally okay. Like it's totally okay not to be part of a team in the future that is Pedri and, and Ansu and those kind of guys. And I think Sons is just going to have a, a long career. But as far as tomorrow, as I said, like it, it is odd how I still feel like even though Oriana probably won't be at the club next season and he is already 20, it was a 21, 22. Like he's getting up there already. Like he's already beyond when he should have broken in the first team. So Oriana's already finished. Yet there's a part of me that always has said for the last few seasons, like it's just out of my own curiosity. I would want to see him once, right? That's all I would have wanted to see. Like, it's not going to answer any questions, but it's going to go, hey, I wanted to see, I've always wanted to see Oriana when his teammates were first team caliber players. Like when they were all at that Mm -hmm. level, I always wanted to see what that was going to look like because you're right. Like he's always, I mean, he's for the last two, three seasons, he's not say been the successor to Busquets, but he is the most natural pivot in the academy for quite some time. And I think what threw that all off was under Pimienta last season when Nico became the pivot. And Oriana was both injured and had to play as an interior. And I think that threw a monkey wrench where they kind of said, hey, Nico is good enough to be in the first team, maybe now. And he's going to be more trusted in this position, even than Oriana, where you're the natural player in that position. So I think that was really telling us where or what kind of faith the club had in him. And then he spent you know, this year pretty much on the shelf. So, yeah, it sounds like it's going to be interesting. And when you said about the pressure about Oriana, it's interesting, too, because Barza wants to finish second. There is pressure on them to finish second. There is pressure on them to finish the season as well as possible. But, you know, I can tell you, especially now that they've qualified for the Champions League, unfortunately, Domagoy, people have absolutely checked out. I thought it was just me, but I even <laughs> saw like Barca Universo, uh, who's well known on Twitter, uh, a Spanish account, and others even around. Like Graham Hunter had a little comment about this that, you know, people are, I mean, thank you to the listeners who are still here with us. And who are listening because again, like <laughs> half of you kind of tuned out. Like once Barcelona we were eliminated in for Eintracht Frankfurt and Europa League, and no trophies yeah. were more available, you know, people check out. So I really feel like there is a lot less pressure on Oriana tomorrow. And for him, I mean, 90 minutes could be the difference between going to 
I mean, like, where's he going to go, right? Is he going to go to a team like Sassuolo or Lazio or that kind of level? Or is he going to go to, or is one game going to be enough to get him uh, a look from a bigger, not a bigger club, but, you know, just a club that's going to compete a little bit more, right? Like, is, is, that, is that like a done thing? Is, that, is he definitely leaving? Is there no chance of renewing? He could renew, but at that point, I mean, he'll be 22 next season, all right. of next season, right? Like you're at a point where if you're not playing first team football, you've done mm-hmm. yourself in, in the very same way that Alex Cayado, if he gets a rumble in the first week of preseason, that Xavi's not going to count on him. He's got to go. He's got to either get transferred out or he's got to go on a loan, but then he'll return and he'll be what, 24 when he returns, mm-hmm. right? So now you're yeah. already, this is half of your 20s already. Like, and yeah. you're, you're still developing. And at some point your development kind of ends. So Domogoy, I, I think I'll give you the final word here. If you like one on Kayato and Oriana, but I am looking forward to Celta de Vigo in a few hours now because with the way Barca played against Celta uh, against Real Betis, if they play a similar game against uh, Real Betis, I mean against Celta de Vigo, and then with Ter Sagan probably taking over for Neto again, <laughs> which we didn't mm-hmm. mention Neto, he probably deserves to be mentioned. But there you go. That's once I've hit Neto, I know it's the, it's the end of the show. Yeah, I just I really hope to see Oriana. Uh, now that you've mentioned it, I'm just it would be a nice kind of. I don't want to say a send-off. It is a send-off, but it's a shame because that was a player that I, I still like. I liked him for a long time, and I always thought that that was the, the Mitter Busquets profile, and injuries have done him a dirty one. That's that's for sure. Uh, could things have been different had he not been injured? Probably. I, I, I would guess so. But to see him in the first team tomorrow, uh, and if he, if he does play and does well, I mean, you never know. Maybe Chavi, maybe Chavi decides to uh, to give him more than just one game. Then uh, maybe maybe he'll get an extended period of th- well, not extended. Well, we have a couple of games. Three matches, yeah, <laughs> yeah, three matches. But three matches is a lot. For, I mean, for a player who hasn't yeah. featured at all. So I guess whether yeah. it's to attract suitors or whether it's just to boost him with confidence or whether it's just to experiment for a little bit for the end of the season, I've, I'm looking forward to that. And I feel like if he gets that chance, if he does get that chance, I feel like. He will do well, and he and and I really hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll have to see tomorrow for for or Hunter Oriana. I mean, there's always things that obviously I'm looking for. I do two shows a week, so there's always things I'm looking for mm. to want to talk about for next season. So or next week mm. rather, even so, Oriana hopefully is one of those things. But Domagoy, thanks so much for always talking to me. Really level-headed, brought some really cool things up, especially the idea of the fullbacks and things. So they can follow you. That means all of our listeners on Twitter, down in the show notes, hit his name or even in the tweet that I have that I put out for this show. So follow Domagoy. He's a great follow. I'd say a better follow than me on Twitter. He's a lot more active <laughs> per se, uh, more times in one day than I am in a week or a month. But so, yeah, we are also on Twitter and Instagram though, too, at the Barcelona pod at health 13 for me. Close Facebook group is the Barcelona podcast. Answer the questions. I'll let you in. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. YouTube is where I have those match reviews and I've got some fun stuff coming up, including something of uh, a little bit of feature about the Brazilian flair that Barcelona might be missing at the time. So that'll come the next few weeks. But as I keep Warning everybody, reminding everybody you saw with Real Betis, I might not get those match reviews out the day of. Some podcasts are going to feel like they're coming out a bit late as well. Like this one, instead of coming out yesterday, came out today. So it, it's going to feel like we're pushing some things off and things are going to be delayed. But generally, content will be coming out. I've got some stuff going on in my personal life, but it's all good. It's all great. As I said, I've been working on things for a while. And the final note, of course, if you're still here with us, is the Barcelona podcast, that store. So you just type in, it's on Teespring is the name of the store, but it's also in the show notes. Just click on the show notes below. And uh, we got some fun stuff there. And I want to thank you already again. Tag yourself on social media if you get an item from the Barcelona podcast store. And I want to give you a huge shout out and thanks to everyone who's also already participated 
Spain is now uh, being little billboards for us around the world. So that's really cool. Thanks so much for that. So most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, talk to you soon. Forza Barca.